Ben does what he wants means I do what I want. we know what that music means that means it's time for another episode of how about that <laughs> uh hi i'm your host ben schlofeld um this is ben does what he wants a podcast uh and uh, sometimes i do it alone because i find things that that are interesting to me and i do a little research and i read them to you so here we go this is the golden ambrosia republic in order to create a republic in Milan, it would be necessary to exterminate all the nobility. For there are, among the nobles, so many exalted personages that the laws do not suffice to repress them, and they must needs be kept under a living voice and a royal power. Machiavelli on the Ambrosia Republic the Golden Ambrosia Republic was a short-lived governmental body in Milan from 1447 to 1450. I stumbled upon this doing my research for the lottery way back in the day there, if you listen to that episode, uh, as this republic set up a lottery to fund their defensive war against Venice. Filippo Maria Visconti, the Duke of Milan, was a superstitious, cowardly, cruel, and he was most likely deformed due to inbreeding, but, you know, no one's positive. He tortured his first wife after he was bored with her, and he imprisoned his second wife on their wedding night after a dog howled, and he believed it to be a bad omen. Though he reigned successfully as Duke for 30 years, uh, after his older, though less shy but equally cruel brother was stabbed to death outside of a cathedral, he had no heirs and only one illegitimate daughter with a mistress. Filippo died on the 13th of August, 1447, creating a huge power vacuum in the city as he had no direct male descendant. He was only 54 and his death was sudden, a combination of malaria and dysentery, and there were many claimants to his throne. Uh, there are some debate over the existence of a will written the day before he died. Its legitimacy gave some claimants more leverage. Uh, let's list them, shall we? Uh, in his will, if it, it did indeed exist, he named Alfonso V of Aragon as his successor, also known as Alfonso the Magnanimous. Born in 1396, he was the king of Aragon as Alfonso V, Valencia as Alfonso III, Majorca, Sardinia, and Corsica as Alfonso II, Sicily as Alfonso I, and Count of Barcelona as Alfonso IV. From 1416, uh, from 1416, and the king of Naples as Alfonso I. Uh, from 1442 until his death in 1458. Lots of titles. Uh, the man ruled over quite a bit. He was one of the most prominent figures of the early Renaissance and a knight of the Order of the Dragon. So he seems like he might have been a good candidate. 
Uh, next was Charles, the Duke of Orleans. He was the nephew of Filippo via his mother, Filippo's sister, Valentina Visconti. Charles's father, Louis I, was brother to the King of France, Charles IV, or Charles the Mad, who was believed to have had schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, and porphyria. His ascension is also pretty interesting, too, so uh, look that up if you're interested in more Renaissance dukes and kings and whatnot. Lots of eccentric rulers during this time period. Next is Albert VI, Duke of Austria. He was a member of the Habsburg family, but didn't seem to have any legitimate claim to the throne. Continuing on is Sigmund, uh, very similar to Albert. He was also a Habsburg, uh, and he was Duke to Austria. He, uh, they actually held the reign at uh, different times, but it was the same title. Uh, and in fact, they were both Archduke of Austria at different times as well. Seems like the Habsburgs just kind of wanted everything. Uh, finally, there was Francesco Sforza, the son-in-law to Filippo through marriage to his illegitimate daughter, who we mentioned earlier, Bianca Maria Visconti, who was 20 years younger. Oof. More on him later. So, even before Filippo had died, the castle was seized by another Italian family, the Braccecci. Now, I'm a, I looked it up, couldn't find an exact pronunciation, but I believe it's Braccecci. Um, they supported Alfonso. They didn't, th this didn't sit well with the merchants and folks at the University of Milan who pined for the old republic that had existed before the dukedom, and before the dukedom could be restored, they hatched a plan. So, and this, they, as in the folks from the University of Milan and the rich merchants of Milan. Uh, so the day after Filippo's death, the 14th of August, the new Republicans with populist support and led by members of the College of Jurisprudence ousted the Braccecci from Milan and established the Ambrosia Republic. Named after St. Ambrose, a 4th century pope that uh, became the Republic's patron. That same day, they dusted off the old constitution and elected 24 captains and defenders of liberty. This didn't please anyone, really, it seems. Many of the cities nearby uh, that were ruled by Milan, including uh, Pavia, Lodi, and Piacenza, defected or declared independence. The greatest threat came from Venice, who was already upset at the prior ruler of Visconti and his attempt to grab more land with a loss of territories came a loss of income, and the Ambrosia Republic had to raise taxes and pleaded for peace with Venice. This didn't happen, so Ambrosia uh, approached our old friend Francesco Sforza for help. He was the greatest military mind in the area, and in exchange for his service, they offered him the title of Captain General and the city of Brescia. Brescia? Brescia. <laughs> Although he truly wanted to attain the dukedom from Filippo. That's his ultimate goal. Sforza successfully recaptured Pavia, uh, uh, who made him their lord, and sacked and took Piacenza, another captain of Milan, captured Tortona, another small community not far from Milan. In 1448, the reign of elected captains and defenders ended, and the elected Guelphs took, uh, took power. Quick sidebar. During this period, there were a couple of factions, the Guelphs and the Gablines. Uh, Guelphs supported the Pope, and the Gablines... Um, supporting the Holy Roman Empire. Right, back to the story here. The newly elected Guelph leaders sued for peace with Venice. 
However, two of the founders of the Republic, who happened to be Ghiblinis, uh, roused a populist demonstration in opposition to peace with Venice, and the Republic gave the go-ahead to Sforza to besiege Lodi, even though at this point the Republic was very weary of Sforza's growing power and influence over the city and surrounding areas. During the siege of Lodi, uh, the Venetian fleets attacked Cremona via the Po River. Luckily for Sforza, his wife was there and defended the city until her husband arrived. Not She held them back. The fleet retreated and waited for the army, but Sforza captured the entire fleet, much rejoicing in Milan. But also, still, they feared Sforza's growing power. Uh, they sent him back to continue the siege on Lodi and take Caravaggio, uh, where he met the Venetian army. The siege lasted from July to September 15th in 1448, when the Venetian army attempted a surprise attack against Forza, who miraculously thwarted the Blitz, defeated the army, and captured three generals. It sounds like the Venetians suck, or Sforza is just that good. There was much rejoicing in Milan, though little gratitude was expressed towards Sforza, again, because they were worried he was too powerful. So they keep using him to defend the city and keep having him work for them, but they keep fearing all of the land and all of the uh, influence he is, he is garnering by doing the thing that they want him to do. So they sent him back to finish the siege on Lodi while his enemies in, in Milan plotted against him. Keeping up all right? Back in Milan, the Piccinino brothers, son of the famous military leader Nicola Piccinino, uh, were plotting with other Milanese leaders against Sforza. Rumors were spread to soldiers that they would not be paid if they continued to fight for Sforza. Sforza was told to halt his siege on Brescia, the city promised to him for his efforts, and civilians were secretly told to hold out until a peace treaty was signed with Venice, a treaty that was already underway. Sforza learned of this treachery and defected to the enemy, the Venetians, for 13,000 ducats, or about $1.95 million in today's currency, and the Duchy of Milan in exchange for his services, uh, Giradada and Crema. Uh, this was the beginning of the end for the Ambrosia Republic. The Piccinino brothers replaced the much more competent Sforza as the military leaders in Milan. So now they're in charge. Along with this major leadership loss, things were not going well in Milan. Crime was rampant. The elected officials were extremely distrustful of one another, so much so that they gave supreme power for a time to the podestra, like a mayor. They were also low on money, giving out fines and beginning the state's first lottery to raise funds. It's a callback to the other, how about that? So this is, I mentioned these guys briefly there. Guelphs were also getting more regularly elected over the Ghibellinis, which upset the Ghibellinis, obviously. Guelphs were proving to make the Republic less democratic than the public desired, as made clear in, the, in a Guelph politician, Carol Gonzaga. Supported by wealthy merchants turned politicians, he would do all that he could to maintain the Guelph rule for himself and the rich that backed him. The leaders of the Ghibellinis began to conspire to overthrow the current regime, but were ultimately discovered and most were eventually executed. So, yuck. 
Meanwhile, the Duchy of Milan was still vacant, and claimants feared that Sforza would take it. Seeing opportunity, Louis of Savoy decides to enter the foray. He attempts to take Milan, but Sforza, using his newly acquired Venetian army, thwarts his attempt. Back in Milan, the public is a little upset at the Guelphs for a couple reasons. They murdered a number of respected leaders of state and didn't hold an election in April of that year, 1449. This led the people of Milan to oust the Guelphs in favor of the Gablinis. Uh, once in power, the Gablinis swiftly imprisoned a number of Guelphs for the execution of Gablinis. <laughs> Perhaps too swiftly, because this upset people as quickly as they'd been elected. They themselves were ousted for their reactionary tactics, and the Guelphs were put back in power. All this while our slimy Guelph friend Gonzaga was attempting to strike a peace agreement with Sforza. Many of the surrounding townships had now either defected or been conquered by Sforza and the Venetians. Sforza's victory over Milan seemed certain, but now the Venetians began to fear a Milan run by Sforza as being too much of a threat compared to the crippled Ambrosia Republic. So, behind Sforza's back again, Venice attempted a treaty with Milan and to cut Sforza out of his much-desired dukedom. They signed the treaty, offered Sforza some cities and a small tract of land, and the Republic was very happy. But Sforza wasn't going to have it. He rejected it, this offer, and made Venice his enemy again. Venice attempted to defeat him again and failed again. They more or less withdrew from Sforza's siege on Milan. Milan was already weakened and Sforza was nearer Milan than Venice, he continued pressing the city, and soon Milan was full of starving, malnourished citizens. This lasted until February 1450, when the city's leaders met to discuss a coup. But they lacked the energy and leadership to pull anything that ambitious off. So, on March 22nd, they gave in to Sforza and let him enter the city. Sforza brought food and supplies, and made himself quite beloved amongst the, amongst the public, who were still grateful for his earlier victories in the name of the Republic, on that same day he was finally given the title Duke of Milan. Sforza was quite lenient with his former enemies, even knighting some of them. Most were allowed to keep their titles, and the Gablinis were reinstated. The war with Venice continued, though. Venice sided with the King of Naples and our uh, old friend and former claimant Alfonso of Aragon. Sforza allied with Florence, and in 1454... The war ended in a victory for Sforza, who officially held the Duchy of Milan. How about that? So that's kind of the story. So, just to recap. Duke of Milan dies. Everybody, everybody wants the job, but the rich people of Milan decide a republic would be best to make them richer. No duke, and they control taxation, things like that. This threatens nearby rulers in Venice, uh, who want to deal with kings and not with republics and they think a republic threatens their own ideas of monarchy so they want to get rid of it so the republic hires a military leader uh to defend them to help them with their war against venice sforza and of course he really wants to be duke sforza kicks ass for the republic gets too gets too powerful and the republic worries he'll oust them so they attempt to betray him. It fails. He joins the Venetians against the Republic. He kicks ass for them. 
Then they fear he'll be too powerful as Duke, so the Venetians and the Republic work together in an attempt to betray him. That also fails. The powerful Sforza takes Milan and then defends it and gets the duchy. So let's let's hear that quote from Machiavelli again that we that I read at the very top. In order to create a republic in Milan, it would be necessary to exterminate all the nobility, for there are, among the nobles, so many exalted personages that the laws do not suffice to repress them, and they must needs be kept under by a living voice and a royal power. So Machiavelli seems to think that it was just doomed. The Republic would not live because uh, there was too much squabbling, too much uh, vying for power, uh, too many religious, you know, too too many religious factions, and uh, yeah, just couldn't couldn't hack it. So that's that's the story of the very short-lived Golden Ambrosia Republic. So thank you so much, uh, and I'll see you next week for another episode of Ben Does What He Wants. <laughs> I haven't done that in a while. All right. Peace. There was a little Spanish beat. A record star, Peabody Beat. He heard of singers like Beatles, the chipmunks he's seen on TV. Why not a little Spanish beat?